right. You guys look good. We're fresh. I can't stand daylight savings. <laughs> so good to be together, though, again. The bad news is daylight savings. Good news, March Madness starts this week, and I, I don't know about you. I'm pumped for that. If you are watching us online, uh, I am so glad that you've joined us that way, and if you happen to be new to us, uh, it's great to have you. My name's Todd. Would love the chance to meet you. This is week three of our series called 40 Days with Jesus. And what we're doing in this series is going through the gospel of Luke all together as a church family. And I'm excited because it's not just that we're preaching on, it's our kids are doing it back there, our students are doing it on Wednesday and Sunday nights, our community groups are going through it together, and then also we've been challenging you to spend some personal time in the book of Luke, spending time with Jesus yourself. And I want to just challenge you in this, that the reason why this is so vital is because when you spend personal time with Jesus, that's where the real life change happens. I want you to know that. Let me uh, show you what I mean. I, my wife and I, Jillian, and we've been married for 17 years, and one thing that you may not know about us is that we were originally set up to meet each other. I don't know if you knew that. My brother actually knew Jillian before I knew her. And for about a year, he was like, there's this girl that you've got to meet. She is great. You, you guys would be a great match. But I'm going, okay, that sounds great. She sounds great. But I don't know her. I've never met her. And we didn't leave, live anywhere near each other. So I was like, we're never going to meet. And so I just kind of went on with my life. Jillian didn't make much difference to me at that point. Until a year later, when we actually did meet, we were in my brother's wedding. We were both in the wedding party. And, of course, they paired us together right? And it wasn't until that point that the sparks started to fly. It was like a rom-com, right? Romantic comedy. Um, it was a great story, but at that point, when I started to get to know her, everything began to change. And what I wanted to say is this, that it wasn't enough that my brother told me about Jillian. That didn't make any difference. I had to actually spend time with her in order for her to make a difference in my life. And you know the rest is history after that. But it's the same with Jesus. The reason you spend time in his word looking at what he is saying is because it's not enough to hear about him from someone else or to, to, to guess what he's like, but it's, you've got to spend time with him personally if he's going to make a huge difference in your life. So I want to challenge you to do that. When you open the Bible and you hear his words— what I want you to do is think about, the, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples and the other people he was interacting and, uh, and think about it as he is speaking directly to you and see how God might use that in your life, all right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that even today as we dive into Luke chapter 9. So you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be there in verses 18 to 20 and then verses 23 to 25. There's only six verses. Um, but it's packed with a lot of good stuff. So what I want to do is give you my outline, and then we'll dive in. And uh, here's what I want you to know today, is that there are three marks of Jesus' followers. Three marks of Jesus' followers that we see in Luke 9, right? And they are as follows. There's surrender, identity, and grace. Surrender, identity, and grace. Okay, let's dive in first with surrender. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Here's what it says. 
Now it happened that as he was praying, that's Jesus, praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now listen, this is a, a huge turning point in the Gospel of Luke and in the life of Jesus because up until this point, everybody looks at Jesus and they know he is something special. They've seen him do some miracles, say some compelling things, you know, stand up to some of the religious leaders on some things, and they know that this guy is more than just a good guy. There's something transcendent about him, and they're starting to get it. And so Jesus asks the disciples two questions. One is an impersonal question, and the other one is a very personal question. The, the impersonal question is this, is, hey guys, Come here, who, who are they saying I am? Who are the crowds saying that I am? What are they saying about me? And of course, that one is an easy one for the disciples because all they have to do is listen to what people are saying and then tell Jesus. So they go, well, yeah, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're like a prophet that's risen from the dead. Jesus, they're saying some crazy things about you, right? But then Jesus turns to the disciples and asks a much more personal question. And that is this. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And listen, um, if you've been coming here a while, you, you come into this place and you know that we are all about Jesus here. Every week we talk about Jesus, we worship Jesus. If I were to come up to you and say this, hey, what do the people at Silver Creek Church think about Jesus? You would, you would have answers, right? It, it wouldn't be hard. you go, oh, they love Jesus there. They, they worship Jesus. They, they say he's the Savior. They say he's the Son of God. They say a lot of great things about Jesus at Silver Creek Church. But if Jesus came in this room today, he would be much less interested in what other people are saying about Jesus, and he would be much more interested in who you say that he is. And so the question is personal for you today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I believe that the answer to that question for you makes all the difference in your life. Right? So the, the disciples answered. Actually, it was just Peter that answered. And I, kinda, I think he kind of answered on behalf of the disciples. But he said, you are the Christ of God. And it was like, Jesus didn't say this, but it was like, ding, ding, ding. Like, you, you got it right. This is exactly who I am. What the disciples knew is that he wasn't just a human. He wasn't, just, he wasn't a superhuman. He wasn't a prophet. This guy was the Messiah of God. He was the Son of God himself, which, meant, which, which had massive implications. I don't even think the disciples knew the implications of what they were saying. But what they were saying is the person standing right in front of us holds the power of the universe in his fingertips. Think about that. Now, um, I want to kind of help illustrate the, the massive implications by this. Have you ever seen those um, Google Earth zoom out videos, right, where they start? Well, I, you're going to see one now if you haven't. So let's go ahead and, and show that. Just watch this for a second. It starts with just one person on the ground. 
and it just zooms out, and you can kind of see the distance that it's zooming out. She's a speck at this point. And it keeps going. At this point, the town is a speck. The state is a speck. I don't know where that is. Oh, it's in California. All right. And then it just keeps going and going, and then all of a sudden the earth becomes a speck. And then it keeps going and going. Right, and it has a lot of, and I, at this point, I think this is made up, by the way. I don't think we have the capability to do this. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but then the, all of a sudden, the, the solar system is a speck, right? And then you get way out, and pretty soon, what I want you to see is that you get to this place where the galaxy becomes a speck. We'll see that in a second. It's going, I wish I, we could fast forward a little bit. Right, and all of a sudden, there's the Milky Way, and that becomes a speck. Right, and, and so we can stop there, Virginia, but I just think that sort of thing is amazing. When you're zooming out, you start with a person, you zoom out far enough, that person is a speck, right, compared to, to the state or that they're whatever you see and then when you zoom out to the earth the earth becomes a speck in comparison to the solar system and the solar system is a speck and compared to the galaxy the galaxy is a speck compared to the universe and yet colossians 1 says this jesus holds all things in the universe together right unbelievable what the disciples were saying about Jesus is that he is the Christ of God, that everything is in his hands, and it has massive implications for every single one of us. And, and here's what that means. Like, if Jesus really is that, if he is the Son of God, and he came down, what happened is he looked at your little speck on a speck, on a speck, on a speck, and yet loved you more than any of the things he created to come down, and he treasured you, and he came down to you and I to give his life for us. That is power and love working together in a way that has the power to transform us forever. And what I want you to, to, to see in this is that that kind of person is not the kind of person that you ask to be your assistant or to help you out in life or to kind of put as a reference on your resume so that you might be able to get you a job or maybe even just send a, a person that you send a text to to get a little help like this is not that kind of person the guy standing in front of the disciples is somebody that's worth giving your entire life to and so jesus looks at his disciples and they start to figure out who this guy really is and so jesus then goes on to really kind of ramp it up a notch and he says if you really understand that i am the christ of god that i am the one who holds the universe together then here here's what it's going to mean for you verse 23 and he said to all if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me what Jesus is saying is if you really believe that I am the one who holds the universe in my hands, then listen, you will deny yourself, you will surrender your way, your will, your plans 
to me because I love you and I have all the power in the universe in my hands. I can do everything for you. I can control everything. So give up your way for my way. So my challenge to you right in this first point is this, that what Jesus is worth giving your entire life to, what areas of your life are you still going, no, I like it my way. I want to do this my way, my will, my plan. What areas of your life do you need to say, you know what, you own it all, and I need to start surrendering that area over to you? All right, the first mark of a disciple of Jesus is surrender, when you understand who Jesus really is. But that leads me to my second point, which is, the first is surrender, the second is identity. Uh, verse 24 goes on and says this, oh, before I do that, you know, I, surrender, we started with surrender, but we, we can't stay there. And the reason why is because I don't want anyone to think that what God wants of you is just to try a little bit harder. Just give up your way for his way. Just try really hard. Because actually what God wants from all of us is to give us a brand new identity. The old is gone and the new has come. Look at verse 24. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Right? This verse is interesting because the word life in this verse is not talking about physical life. It's actually, it's actually the, the word life is a Greek word, psyche. Uh, and a psyche is actually uh, the, for the, the Greek word for psyche. And that word actually means like um, what's inside of your mind, what's inside of your soul, what's inside of you, kind of what makes you, you. It's your identity. It's who you are. And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you are going to, what, what, when he says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. He's actually talking about your identity, and every single one of us is looking to find an identity. And we think that we're going to be saved by finding an identity and a meaning and a worth that's going to make us happy. But Jesus says that doesn't work. And I was thinking about this. I think um, all of us kind of, have an identity that we are running after that we know doesn't really fill us up and if you want to know anybody's identity of what they want their identity to be one of the things you can do is just look at their social media right it's uh it's very revealing because the beauty of social media is that you can kind of put out there whatever you want people to see and hide anything that you don't want them to see and so it can become very obvious there's a uh there's a movie that came out a while ago called Eighth Grade. And it's a movie about an eighth grade girl who is uh, trying to find herself and her identity. Probably not unlike a lot of eighth grade girls. Right? And what she's doing is she's trying to use social media to create an identity for herself so that people would, you know, kind of think she's someone that she wants them to think that she is. And so you should see the movie if you want to know what middle school life is like. If you want to know what it looks like to grasp for meaning and worth, watch this movie. It's very obvious because what she does, she does stuff like wakes up in the morning, puts on makeup, and uh, then gets back into bed and takes a selfie and kind of, you know, says, oh, I just woke up, you know, kind of like I look like this when I wake up. She's trying to create this identity for people to see. 
But it's funny because we can talk about eighth graders looking for an identity, but we all do this. So I decided to get on my own social media account and kind of look up what, it, what kind of things do I put off? What kind of identity do I want people to think, to, to, to think when they think about me? And I do this too, and even with good things. So I just pulled up a few of my social media posts from Instagram over the past year. So first one is up there. All right, this was uh, my wife and I just finished a half marathon, all right? And there were 96 people who liked it, by the way, which is amazing. <laughs> and I'm glad that my associate pastor was the first one, D. Giff, right there. Um, but, you know, when I post that, of course, I want to just celebrate my accomplishment, but I want you to see that I have done something, that I'm healthy, and that I did it with my wife, which means we must have a great marriage, right? There's a lot of things that uh, are involved in that post. Look at the next one. This is uh, my, my son Griffin and I at Brown's training camp, right? And uh, this, this picture, of course, means that I'm dad of the year because I do stuff with my son, you know, which is great. Make sure you think that. And then also, um, I am a Browns fan, and I'm not, I want you to know that I'm not just the kind of Browns fans that watch the game on Sunday. I go to practice. I go to the training camp. That means I'm diehard Browns fan. All right, and my, my last picture, of course, is I wanted to post a picture of our new Silver Creek Sermon podcast because everybody knows when you are on a podcast that you finally arrived and made it in life, right? All these things are, you know, are okay things, and my motives aren't all bad for posting, but we do this all the time. We want to give out an identity to people that we want people to see. We're all grasping to try to find meaning and worth in our life. And even if you go, you know what, I don't even mess with social media. Don't worry, you still do it. But you still do it by lifestyle, by your house, by the way you dress, by the way you look, by your job, by the things you say in conversations. We all are trying to portray an identity because we're all looking for something to give us meaning and worth. All right, I'm going to come back to the verse I just read, but I want to go to the next one. It says verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Or what this, this verse, what Jesus is, is alluding to is the way the world tries to find an identity. What the world does is they try to gain as many things as they possibly can that make them feel like they are worth something and have meaning in their life. And when they finally find that thing, then the world says, then you will be happy. But Jesus says it doesn't work. You can gain as many things as you want, but it actually doesn't work. The way it works, Jesus says, is that you actually, in order to gain a real, true, stable identity, you actually have to lose all your other identities. You have to stop pursuing these identities that don't last, that aren't stable, and give it up so that you might have an identity in Christ that could actually last forever. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Um, the stuff that I posted on my social media, all of that is good stuff, right? It's not, not, there's nothing wrong with what I posted. It's, it's, it's fine. To, it's great to run half marathons, and it's great to, you know, to, to be a Browns fan. Well, sometimes. But, um, but also, like, you know, to be a family man and to have pictures with my family, all of those things are great. 
The problem is none of them can give me a stable identity. Even good things cannot do that. Because let's take, for instance, preaching, which I, I struggle with. I love preaching, and so I, it can be dangerously close to being like an identity for me. And if preaching becomes where I find my value and worth, what happens when I get a little older and I'm not as good at it and I can't speak as well, and you guys go, you know what, it might be time to hang it up, right? I lose me at that point. I lose everything if that's where I find my identity. But if I find my identity in Christ, it changes everything. And so I want us to see that. Listen, the, the gospel is this. This is why Jesus is saying what he's saying. The gospel is this, that God has created you and me to find our meaning and worth in a relationship with him. But what we've done is we've spent our entire lives pursuing other identities, searching for other things that we think are going to fill us up, trying to gain everything we can. And it doesn't work until God in his love sent Jesus down to this earth to give up his life for us so that we could be reconciled back into a relationship with God. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the secret to finding a stable identity that lasts forever is lose every other identity and find one in Jesus. When you find Jesus, you will stop searching because you will finally have everything that you need in him. Here's the, uh, here's the beautiful part of it, too, is that when you find Christ to be an identity that is stable, that lasts forever, and not just, not just like because, you know, you get to be with him forever, but it changes you now, too, because what happens is every other thing in your life gets better when Jesus is your identity. So for me, if preaching becomes an identity, that's dangerous for this church. Because then I'm more focused on having my worth in preaching than I am in Jesus. But what you want for me is to have my identity rooted in Jesus because then my preaching gets better. My marriage gets better. My parenting gets better. The way I use my money is better. The way I spend my time is better. That's the beauty of finding your identity in Christ is everything grows. It impacts everything you do. And so that's my second point. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get to in this passage. There's surrender, there's identity, and finally, there is grace. Jesus' followers are marked by grace. I don't want us to miss this one either, because we've talked about surrendering, surrendering your will to God or to Jesus, and we've talked about finding your identity in Jesus, but those things cannot happen until you have come face to face with the amazing, unconditional grace of Jesus. It's only by grace that we are saved. And until you realize that everything bad you've ever done or thought or conceived in your mind has been forgiven and erased by the blood of Jesus on the cross, until that goes deep, you will not be able to find an identity and surrender your will to God. I think the most um, grace-filled people at this church, the most, I would say, even the most spiritually strong people at this church are not the people that have, like, this pristine resume of always doing everything right. The most grace-filled, spiritually strong people 
are actually people who have fallen flat on their face and saw Jesus forgive them and pick them back up and put them on their feet. And because they have tasted that kind of grace, they emanate grace. They are filled, but you will not be filled with grace until you've tasted it in a real way in your own life. And we all should. We all should have that understanding. There's a I think one of the things that's so easy, the longer we're Christians, the easier it is to forget about the grace of Jesus. We become grace graduates. Like what we do is we go, yeah, God saved me by grace, but now I think God really loves me like because I'm doing things for him. Like now I've got this thing down and, you know, I'm kind of working on it. I think he's pretty happy with me. But that's, that's really not the way it works. We are saved by grace. We stand in grace every day. We are here because of grace. And uh, the disciples miss this too. Every once in a while, the disciples, I relate with them so much because it looks like they're just starting to understand and then they totally blow it. Does that sound familiar to any of us, right? And, and I want, so I want to share with you a story of the disciples. Later on in chapter 9, just not far after the passage we just read. Listen to this story. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them. But he turned, Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, I want to just kind of restate that story because it's pretty wild what happens. Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him to this Samaritan village. And he says, hey, tell them I'm coming and see if they'll be ready to hear what I have to tell them. And the disciples go there, and they, didn't, they rejected them. They didn't receive the message that that, that was supposed to be uh, that they were supposed to tell and so the disciples go Jesus you'll never guess these people didn't receive you we got an idea how about we call fire down on them just consume them right now you know they think all of a sudden the disciples like they're it, it's going to their heads that they're with Jesus and it says that Jesus rebuked them but I would love to know exactly what Jesus said because in my mind, Jesus goes, come here, guys. You know, like, you are, you're an idiot. You don't understand why I have come. Do you realize that the whole reason I'm here is not to bring fire down on anyone, but to have God bring the fire down on me so that you would never have to have the fire come down on you. That is the grace that Jesus came with, and we so quickly forget. We do the same thing. We look at people who are not like us, who seem far from God, who are struggling with different things, and it's so easy in our minds to go, oh, that's disgusting. I can't believe. Like when people struggling with their sexual identity, struggling with addiction, struggling with different areas, and we look at them sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, of going, oh, they are so far from God, I don't even know what to do with them. But as Christians, what I want you to know is it's not our job to look at those people and tell them that they're wrong. 
What, now listen, the amens. It's our job to love them with the grace of Jesus and have them look at us and go, you have what I am looking for, what I've always wanted, and allow the grace of Jesus to transform them. I just want you to know that the gospel is not about, is not about a um, behavior modification. It's not. He didn't come so that we would just change our behavior. He came to change our hearts, our identity, so that people who are looking for an identity will stop and they'll find their meaning and their value in Jesus. And then things begin to change forever. That's the way this thing works. So listen, as we, as we close out, what I want you to know is that as followers of Jesus, we should be the most grace-filled, loving people in the universe. Would our church be like that and start to transform the world around us, right? Surrender to Jesus. Find your identity in Jesus and be absolutely filled with his grace. And who knows what God will do. Let me pray. Father, you are, uh, you are so good in giving us Jesus and making sure that uh, we know that we can stop our search that our search is over because Jesus has done everything that we need him to do for our lives both now and forever. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not yet given their life to Jesus, that they would realize that every other road is a dead-end street, but that you have come to give life and to give it abundantly. So now, Lord, I pray that we would worship Jesus for all that he is.